0: Good morning and welcome everybody. You're listening to The Breakfast Show on Faith FM 87.6, 87.8 or 88... Right across Australia, right across the Faith FM network, wherever you are, positively different radio. In the morning, you're with the Double L team, Lyle and Lawson. And this morning, we also have Rick. Rick, <laughs> listen to that voice. Where did that come from? Rick, welcome to the show. Radio.
1: Glad to be here. It's great morning to be yes. here. Yes,
0: and you're obviously a uh, a veteran radio host. From uh, you've done radio in other places, other times, all that kind of thing. This is this is not new for you, is it? Oh, it's it's this
1: is new in here. It's lovely, but um, radio is, sort of grows on you. It's it's not entirely
0: new, no. Ah, fantastic stuff. We're going to enjoy your contribution this morning, Lawson. What are you thankful for this
2: morning? Oh, let me see. What am I thankful for, dude? Mexican food. Yes. <laughs> um. I. Uh, yeah. Working at the Newcastle Uni with, uh, you know, for the church there. And so I'm always looking to. Oh man, how can I like connect with the students? How can I how can I spend time with them and then lead them to you know come to church or whatever it may be. And so yesterday I texted two of my friends from the uni. I was like, hey, do you want to get Mexican food with me? And they're, they're both like from Whoop Whoop, like Singleton and Maitland. And I'm like, oh, yeah, come, come into town. And they did. And we hung out and ate Mexican food. Um And actually, like I put the hottest of hot sauces, like, like there's, like, there's like five extra, 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 extra hot. And I'm like, I can do this, bro. But seriously, right now I'm like feeling it. <laughs> He's in pain. My He's stomach, my stomach is like... <sighs> <sighs> um, but yeah, no. It was, other than that, it was great. Taste you know it. what I'm thankful for? What are you thankful for? You're in pain. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, that's... I enjoy your pain. <laughs> we we're having we we're having a chat before the show. It was like, oh, someone needs to be in the studio early, you know, because if Lawson has a car crash on the way here, it's like, yeah, Lyle will just make fun of me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm like in the air, off in the ambulance, and Lyle's like, ah. anyways.
0: Yes. Yeah, Rick, well, what well, are you I'm, grateful I, for? Oh, what are you grateful no, for? No, I was going to say I'm, I'm grateful for here, but what's, what's, <laughs> gr- what's Rick grateful for this morning? Oh, look, I, it's just, um, I, I like
1: every day because it's just something new. Um, mm. I'm an early waker, early riser, do a bit of reading, yes. and I'm just impressed every day whether it's rain, hail or shine or whatever it is, there's always something that I've planned that doesn't usually happen and something else takes its place. And so I, I, I like the view of let things happen as they roll and just adapt to it and that. To mm. see where the adventure
2: goes. See where it goes. You're listening to the Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM. Positively different.
0: Lawson, what's happening in positively different
2: news? All right, I've got, I've got this deeply historical story, but I want cool. to save it towards the end because right now I'm going to talk about something else. Right no, now, do do history first. History first. I'm like, we've this, got Ricky. He loves is, history. This is, <laughs> this is pretty cool. This is pretty cool. So, a Caligula era real, like, mosaic yes. that was in his palace. Who was a Roman emperor. Who was a Roman emperor, by the way, like 2,000 years ago. Yeah. Yes. Has been found being mm. used as a coffee table in New York. Wow. But it's so a, it's, it's genuine. It's, it's actually a the genuine, real, thing. It's a real, real thing. Caligula, hero mosaic.
1: Has it been valued?
2: And so this is the thing. It's now been taken. It's been valued and everything. But this is the, the cool part. The story of it is that... It was buried in a lake, and then uncovered by, I believe it was the Italians, because yes, it was in is, Rome. In yeah, the Roman Empire. It was it was uncovered by the Italians, like in 1920, um, like uh, under under Mussolini, mm-hmm. and then stolen by the Nazis, right? And then when you know um, when like East Germany fell. You know, so it would have been stolen by the Nazis when the Italians changed sides. Yes, that's right. Yes, and then the Americans somehow came into like into possession of it, and then it got so- they didn't know what it was. Got they were given like it this to- looks cool, we'll take it back to America. We we'll take it back to America. Got given to a private, you know, art dealer, but he didn't know what it was either. Who gave it to someone else? And then made a coffee table. made it it. a coffee table <laughs> out of it, and then put it in a yes. Park Avenue, New York yeah. apartment. And, 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 and somebody's going, that looks genuine. Yeah, no, so this is what actually happened. So in 2013, this guy, his name's Dario del Buffalo. He's an Italian expert in Roman stone art. Okay. Like he's like the man and he's doing a book signing in New York and he's sitting there signing away at books and you know, it's the, the, um, the, the book signing's going on and he's about to finish up and he hears this conversation happen in front of him because on the cover of the book is a picture of the mosaic, but Like from research that they've done, from plants that they've found, all these things. Like they don't have the mosaic, but it's it's an old picture from back in the day picture. It's like an old picture of like, yeah, what a mosaic from the Caligula era would have looked like based on other artifacts that they've found. Um, and they've got it on the front cover. And this, these two guy, people standing in front of them, it's a man and a woman, they start having a conversation. Um, and the man says to the woman, Oh, look, that's your mosaic. It's like, yeah, that looks really similar. That's cool. And the guy's sitting there like, But but that mosaic was lost a very long time ago. We don't have that anymore. And so he like literally gets up from the table. They they try to walk out the building. He's like chases them down and they're like, where's this mosaic? And it's like, it's in my house. And so (laughs) that's my coffee table. And then they go in and put my hot drinks on it regularly. He inspects it and looks, he's like, this is the real deal. Like this is like actually from 2000 years ago. And unfortunately he had to be the... The the bad guy and he called, you know, the Italian oh, right. um, heritage authorities and they come and they took it and now it's, you know, currently... Like, and they didn't is, get any money for it, right? No. <laughs> oh, that's so sad. <laughs> no, that's a bad end to the story. <laughs> yeah, yeah <laughs> that's right. But they've, they've
0: taken... The moral it of the story is if you have a mosaic in your house that you think might be uh, genuine... That-
2: don't tell anyone <laughs>
1: sell it privately black market
2: but yes. yeah, they've taken it and it is currently in the process of like they know that it's genuine it's currently just in the process of being stored and valued and, and all these different things they're taking it as like. i a think it's actually better off to be salad. in
0: somebody's coffee table than buried in the in the vault of a museum somewhere where it'll never see the light of day again
2: yeah that's right but that's the thing if it gets damaged like it's I'd be interested if it old.
1: became available to the public. Who'd actually buy it? What sort of person? Because of Caligula's colourful background.
0: Oh yes, Well, you've got Caligula's back, colourful background. Then you've got Mussolini. He's yeah, he's got yeah. a finger in the pie. The then you've got come, Adolf Hitler's. It, it's and got so much provenance. Then the Americans come in. Got, that's, this has got a this has got a yeah. the story. There's a book in this. The story behind <laughs> it just blows
2: its value yeah. through the roof. Yeah, that's Absolutely. right. Absolutely. That's right, unfortunately... It's going to sit in a museum, but um, <laughs> I guess we'll oh, see in the insane. future. But that is well, going to become
1: quite famous wherever it sits because people are just going to want to follow this.
2: Yeah. yeah, yeah, definitely. It's it's the it's the it's the little mosaic that could that existed, like <laughs> that survived two thousand years at the bottom of a lake, and Nazis and literally fought in the war. Um, well, not literally, but it existed that that time and switched sides. Uh, <laughs> so, okay, other news. All right, this is this is this is cool. This is about this is about solar panels. Yes, and this is. The topic I, I like I, to talk I knew, about. I knew you wouldn't talk be able to get through positively different news without talking about Okay, check this out because this, this actually affects me. This is, this is something that I can relate to very much. So, um, basically, in, in the United States, there's a firm there that has seen that closed landfill has become prime real estate to put solar panels in. Because the biggest problem that people have with solar panels is that they take up space. Yes. But you can't build on closed landfills because Mm. they're deemed toxic. Mm. Yes. And so they're like, why don't we just find every closed landfill and just put solar panels on it? When I was a kid, we had an oval that was built on landfill. And look every every, every now and then wow, things would turn up in the dirt, cla- <laughs> dude. Well, this is this is the thing. It's like they've said, like if they just got went to every single closed landfill in the United States and built sol- solar panels, they could increase the entire U.S.'s capacity of solar energy by sixty percent. Like just overnight, just bam! Like it's way more solar power, and they would uh, produce like sixty-three. I think it's sixty-three gigawatts. They would increase um, the capacity by, which is g- ginormous. Now, this is this is uh, applicable to me because. So I you like. Rubbish dumps? No, well rubbish I live in, in I, live on a rubbish dumps. I, I live in the bush, right? <laughs> I live like at the back of the, at the, you know, right, like yes. I live on a street that backs onto the bush, yes. and you know, I I take my motorbike and go and ride in that bush, and le- legit, it's like you know, right at the back of my house into the bush. Take a right, I go on a trail. Take a left, take a right, take a left, up a hill, <laughs> take a right, up another hill, and like within two minutes, I am on top of the old Toronto dump. Right. That I found... I, I no, got to the So... Right. Yeah, right, left, right, left, <laughs> get to the top of the hill. I'm on the old Toronto dump. Now, I was up there and I was like, oh, this is... Because it's just like flat and there's just grass and there's no trees or anything. I'm like, this would be awesome to build a motorbike track out here. But I'm like riding around through this thick grass and it's like bumpy as... I'm like, what is this place? And I like ride back yeah. and I tell dad and he's like, oh, Lawson, well, don't go up there. That's the old Toronto dump. Like, don't, <laughs> you, don't, you don't want to turn... You don't want to like have a crash and get, like, stabbed by an old pair of scissors and, you know, get hepatitis or something or some disease. But I'm like, this is the perfect place, right beside my house. We could chuck a ton of solar panels there that run... Full of asbestos. Yeah, full of asbestos. But we could just chuck some solar panels there and run the whole of Toronto from them. Dude. Go Toronto. Go Go Toronto. Like, this is is exactly what we need. This is like... This story is...
1: So, go solar and dump power. We... It's funny with dumps. As kids, we thought they were the most. Be- it's crazy when we were growing up on a farm to go to the dump to actually walk to oh, the dump and rubbish through it. Yes, is the is the current bunning, oh, no, not the bunnings, is a dump. But you know what I mean. Uh-huh, That's what uh-huh. we used to do on a Sunday.
0: Absolutely, <laughs> so many treasures in there. The things that we used to drag out of the yeah. dump, yeah, you know, old bike parts, and yeah. you get enough of them, and you you get a bike
2: together. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Dude, I go to the dump and it just smells. I'm like, yeah. I'm, I'm out of oh, here. Of course bro. it
0: smells. We used to go there and shoot rats as well, but.
2: <laughs> with yeah. their gloves.
0: Yeah, no, gloves. No sanitation. Oh. yikes. Thongs. <laughs> oh. bare feet. <laughs> well,
2: yeah. I, I, there's some trails behind the current dump in Toronto because they've moved across the road. Um, and I go riding out there and check it out, and you see, like, they've, they've lined the ground with plastic so they can eventually, like, You know, so there doesn't seem... But
0: see, what Rick and I used to do when we were kids out in the bush was the ultimate in recycling.
2: You know? Yeah. It's
0: recycling right there. (laughs) That's what it is. Recycling
2: is a good thing. If you've got any dump stories or own a 2,000-year-old mosaic, give us a call. 0491 064 (laughs) 669. And let us know... You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different.
0: All right, so we're going to cut a couple of text messages here. Oh, okay. So, excuse me, Lawson says, <laughs> Maitland, whoop whoop. <laughs> Maitland is not whoop whoop. It's only thirty minutes from Hamilton. See, this is Lawson, the uh, the, the, the Newcastle. That's you know, right. Country, That's and like, yeah. whatever. Anything, a- anything the other side of the freeway is like the Black Stump. Yeah, and Look, that
1: that makes where I live beyond not the Black Stump, yeah, but beyond
0: whoop whoop. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> 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 Well, hey, look, look! Don't, don't, don't just don't get mad. Thirty minutes from Hamilton—that's not even. That's only half of a one-way commute in Sydney. That's it's still whoop whoop.
2: <laughs> it's still like I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna claim now. Now Maitland has places. Maitland has a shopping centre. Good for them. Okay. Yeah, that,
0: <laughs> Maitland has places. Here we go. Here we go. <laughs> um, yeah, and the Caligula table. Uh, we were actually talking about this off, an air, off air. Very interesting story. Somebody's um, texted through to say there's a movie in this one. Yeah, yeah definitely. definitely a movie in that space. And the
2: fact that it's, it's also not Caligula, it's not just Caligula era, it was linked to him as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It was, it was in his possession. His private yeah.
0: possession. Yeah. Mm. So that's pretty cool. All
2: right, so we're going to talk about this plumber this
0: morning. This one's probably positively different news. It probably should go in there, but uh, he discovered the church offering. And he was doing some plumbing in this particular church, uh, putting in a new toilet. And as he's putting in a new toilet, he's taking out some of the insulation in the wall behind the toilet. And lo and behold, a whole bunch of envelopes start falling out. Um, Turns out that initially there was about 500 envelopes fell out, starts looking in those envelopes. They're full of money and checks. And so they continue looking and they find that there was actually, they eventually find 3,000 envelopes in there. And what had happened was seven years ago the church had been burgled and the safe had been broken into and everything in the safe had been taken. And within those envelopes, and uh, uh, within those envelopes was $200,000 in cash and $400,000 in checks.
2: Wait, wait, so wait, why why was it in the wall? This is the confusing part because I've heard this story, but I don't understand. I don't understand either because it's not
0: reported in the media. What I'm assuming is this this is going to be my assumption. This is what I'm going to, if I was a police officer working on this case, this is where I would look. I would say, okay, what work was being done in the church at that time mm-hmm. and who was doing that work and was somebody doing some renovations in the toilet block? Did they break into the safe, shove it in the, all in the wall, plaster over the top of it, plan to come back and have never come back? Yeah. I mean, you've got to try and figure out how to break into the church again to get it out of the wall. It's like
2: you've broken into the safe. Why don't you just take, take it the cart? money and run? Alright, galaxy brain guys. This is this is what actually we're, happened. We're gonna solve this. the guy. Solve the, the guy right. Agatha Christie. the same plumber who discovered it also burgled the church and he's trying to clear the heat because he feels guilty or something. And he's trying to maybe, make sure Maybe he went to a sermon in that church and uh, he's convicted. He's convicted. Yeah. So so he broke in the safe, put the money in the wall, plastered it over. He's a plumber, and then the opportunity. Come, but you know, he gets convicted. The opportunity comes up. You know, maybe he's talking with someone, and they, like, oh, they need a new toilet. That spreads the idea around. People are like, yes, we need this new toilet. We need this new toilet. And then he's like, okay, and then he finds it in the wall, and then he's like, oh, guys, look, there's all this money here that was burgled and put in the wall. I wonder how that got there. That's crazy. So was was <laughs> when it was bur- the money originally
1: burgled? Was the did that go to media?
2: Uh,
0: I would imagine so. It was seven years ago. That seven. was before I was doing Breakfast Radio, so I didn't cover that story back then. Yeah. So I, I imagine so. This is, uh, by the way, this is Joel Olstein's church uh, where they have 50,000 people turn up each uh, week. Uh, and so this was just a one 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 week's take of uh, offering. <laughs> you know, it'd, it'd be nice to pastor a church, wouldn't it, Rick? Uh, you've pastored a few churches <laughs> in your time that uh, you take up $600,000. You know a week. what's going to happen
1: now? you're going to have a lot of churches knocking down their walls.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, wonder, <laughs> I wonder what might be behind this wall right here. Uh, anyway, that was, a, um, that was an interesting story. I'm going to talk about a much more serious story this morning. I'm going to talk about child rights. And, you know, we protect our children. So we have laws that protect our children and we have parents who should be there to protect our children. And so for children, you know, there are certain things that we restrict from them. We, we, we restrict them from using alcohol uh, cigarettes, firearms, um, rattle cans of paint. can't even buy a rattle can of paint unless you're over the age of uh, 18 because it's all locked. You know, et cetera. We could make a probably a long list of things that children are protected from. But the mm. one thing that children are not pro- protected from in any society that I really know of is screens. Mm. And screens can be absolutely lethal for children. Oh, other than China. China does do some protection for children yeah. tu- There's no question about that. Mm-hmm. Um, they are definitely working on that, mm-hmm. um, which is you know one thing where it's like, "Go China," and rare for <laughs> me to say that, but in this case, We agree. Yeah I agree. Uh, but when it comes to screens, the only protection that children have as far as screens go is from their parents. Mm. And so this story really is an appeal for parents because what I find is that as you know, I get around different churches and so forth, and I talk to parents from time to time. Parents are unbelievably naive as to what goes on on their children's screens, mm. and they basically are giving their children no protection. What you've got to understand is the moment that you give a child the smartphone, you've got them given them mm. unlimited access to the most violent, horrific uh, pornography that you can imagine. Mm-hmm. And that is going to affect their mind. It's going to affect how they think their mind is young. It is soft clay. It is developing. It's going to change them for the rest of their lives. Mm. Yep. Okay, so this is new research that, uh, that just has come out, uh, particularly looking at children between the ages of 9 and 12 and what they have found that between 2019 and 2020, so that's over, over a period of one year, sexting amongst that age group doubled. So what this is called is self-generated child sex abuse material uh, where basically you've got kids who are um, taking, say, nude selfies or selfies of themselves doing sex acts and so forth and sharing it um, online. And uh, in 2019, 6% of 9 to 12-year-olds had participated. In 2020... 14%. Yikes. Now, why are they participating in that? They're participating in that because of first what they see and then what they do. Mm. And this is where, where, you know, so often I I, I talk to kids all the time (laughs) and they're like, oh, my kid's not doing that. I'm like, my kid's not looking at pornography or whatever. I'm like, do they have a smartphone? Do they have a screen? Do they have a screen in their room? Then, of course, they are. Yeah. Um, and this is, this is nine to 12 years old. Of course, once you go up to 13 to 17 year olds, um, you're sitting around about the 20% mark Mm. of, you know, 13 to 17 year olds that are participating in this. And basically what this does is it creates paradise for pedophiles. Mm. Mm. They don't have to go out and groom kids. Kids are actually just freely sharing this material online because of what they are seeing. It begins with what they see and it's like monkey see, monkey do. Mm. They are children, and as parents, we need to be protecting our children. You know, we don't give we don't give young kids firearms. Why? Because they're lethal. Mm. But here, you are giving your child something
2: that can permanently damage that child for the rest of their life. I think that's a big point to make too, because I feel like a lot of this, uh, you could, yeah, material that's being distributed starts within the confines of a private conversation. Um yep. and yeah, then quickly you know gets shared around and can end up in the hands of anyone.
0: Yeah, well they did the uh, they did the percentage on uh, on how many of these children were resharing what they received from other children. Mm. It's fourteen percent.
1: Yeah, I, I think that's a big one, Lyle. A big point because the the whole peer the whole peer peer group uh, process. Yes. peer group process, yes. have you seen, have you seen, have you seen, have you seen, oh, where are you, aren't you, aren't you with us, aren't you mm. doing this sort of stuff. Then the developmental side of young children uh, is getting blasted with, this, with this, all this material and the ability to work rationally through that at that age group
0: isn't just mm. there. No, it's not. And, and this is the thing because children have a natural curiosity. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's good that children have a natural curiosity, but we need to
2: protect that natural curiosity so that they don't
0: stumble into something that will destroy them. Yeah, that's
2: right. Because the reality is is that, like, you know, I feel like this is also a big contributor to child depression and struggles with that is, you know, how that can go wrong and kids can end up in a terrible situation. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different.
0: Fantastic, Zaf. So, well, joining us on the phone right now is Tammy Moses from Asian Aid. Tammy, welcome to the show. Well,
3: good morning. Thank you for having me. Now, I understand that there's
0: uh, some exciting news coming out of Asian Aid. And for those who are unfamiliar with Asian Aid, just a quick reminder that you're a, a, a charitable organization that does uh, particularly educational work in uh, India, Nepal and Bangladesh. Now, of course, that's been fairly disrupted as a result of COVID, but I understand you've got all of your schools back up and running now. Is that correct?
3: We do, yes. We're absolutely celebrating that. We've got children back in the classroom. Um, and, yeah, it's the, the big highlight of the year, I think, is to see them back learning and excited to see each other.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. Tammy, tell me, uh, with with you know all of the disruption caused by COVID, once the schools reopened again, did you find that everyone came back?
3: Uh, no, that wasn't the case, unfortunately. And even now, we're still waiting for... Um, or different uh, students to return um, to school, so it's been it's been quite a disruptive process. So they've had, particularly in India and Nepal, and even Bangladesh, schools have opened on a state by state basis. It's been down to the local government um, or the education department to decide when they believed it was safe for the schools to open. And then even in that note, we've had the majority of the schools in India, for example, um, have their senior students and upper primary back at school. But a lot of the lower grades are returning as and where possible. Um, And so, because of that, um, schools that are still waiting on that full permission to go to their full capacity, um, they're continuing to run face to face and online learning simultaneously. So, it's still quite a busy year for teachers in India, Nepal, and Bangladesh. For
0: those students that haven't come back to, you know, particularly the boarding schools, what would, you know, apart from obviously the uh, the, the COVID regulations and those kind of, are there other factors that would affect why they wouldn't be back at boarding school now?
3: Yeah, absolutely. And I think so. we do, through 18A we do day schools, so as in schools that um, provide education to students that are very close by, so within one or two kilometres from the school. Then we have boarding schools as well that have day students and boarding, um, and so I think a lot of a lot of the reasons for children not to return to boarding school particularly, I think is that they've had some of them have had the majority of the year at home with their families and they've either um, enjoyed like not necessarily enjoyed that time, but they've decided that living close by to family and attending a local government school might be a better option for their for their learning or for their own well-being because um, it is very difficult. I think going through a boarding school. The reason that that option is there is that a lot of these families engaged with Adventist schools in their village when the children were young. But a lot of the Adventist schools um, only go to about grade four or five. And then the option is there if a child would like to, and the family would like to, for the child to attend a boarding school that can go through to grade 12. And so that decision is made around then. And I think COVID has sort of given the families a lot more time to go as much as we would love to attend a school that went through to grade 12. Um, attending a local school might be the better option for us if soon the lockdowns happen.
0: I mean, it can't be a bad thing that kids are spending time with their families being raised by their families, you know, by their parents and so forth. There's got to be a positive to this as well.
3: Oh, a huge positive, that's right. And I think what we're trying to do now, um, so a lot of the things that you read it in our newsletters and on our website, is that we're running a child-focused school development program. That's one of our main focuses at the moment. And it's taking these smaller Adventist village schools that are in remote communities that might only um, go to grade four or five and supporting them to grow um, their offering, to grow their um, the class numbers in order to um, have a longer presence there or to support children further through their education journey, um, but also to act as a hub for community resources, so to provide livelihood training to families that might be struggling, um, adult literacy classes, um, child clubs, sport clubs, after um, school tuition and things like that. So ideally, we're looking to where we have an Adventist presence or Adventist school. We're looking to build them up um, so that they can serve their local community.
0: So on the flip side of that, I guess you would have some students that you know, come COVID lockdowns and, and, and these kinds of things happening. Um, I'm assuming you would have some students that wouldn't actually have a home to go to. Would, would that be a correct assumption?
3: Yeah, very much. And even we had the case, um, there was quite a snap lockdown, particularly in 2020. And when that happened, a lot of the boarding students, particularly um, in Bangalore, so southern India, um, the families were given a four-hour window to return back to their villages or to their homes. And I think you saw on the news it just created quite a mass panic of lots of um, migration workers trying to get back to their homes with very little notice on public transport and it was just quite um, very hectic. And so the students in those situations, the safest option for them was for the school and the staff to support the children at the boarding schools or to support the children at the school until their families um, were allowed to come and collect them, essentially. And so, yeah, it is. It's very difficult for some of them to return. And that's why we yeah, we have a different offering of day schools, boarding schools, but we even have children's homes as well where there might not be a family network for the child um, to return to.
0: And in those kind of situations, how were you able to cater for those children that, you know, had no home, had no family or could not get home because of the SNAP lockdowns? Uh, your school is obviously not able to function, but are you still able to, you know, provide accommodation and, and food and so forth for the kids? Yeah,
3: yeah, absolutely, yeah. So the basic necessities are uh, providers. So school, there was even, um, because there was, you were still allowed to operate with minimal uh, with social distancing, so minimal children or staff in a certain area. And so the schools really used the majority of their resources or their um, their campuses to still engage children in uh, the children that needed to stay that um, weren't able to return to their families to engage yeah, in learning activities or um, you know, worship together or sports activities or whatever it might be. But, yeah, all the needs were covered for those that weren't able to return, so food, lodging um, and wellbeing support as well.
0: So if I could change this, just change tack here a little bit, um, one thing that I've been wondering about and I think probably a lot of people have been wondering about, we do hear stories uh, coming out of India and even Nepal, Bangladesh, etc., cetera, uh, from time to time regarding the level of... Um, Persecution, anger against Christians. I mean, India has gone down a very nationalistic path recently. Mm. Story in Nepal about a pastor being jailed because he was he he told people that you know it was a valid thing to um, to pray to God for healing if you caught COVID. Um, we hear some pretty pretty nasty stories coming out of you know Bangladesh from time to time. Uh, persecution mm. coming from different angles there. How do how do the Asian Aid schools get on? You know, I, I would think that, you know, where you've got a school and you've got kids that are being educated and are sharing a good report of their experiences, then surely this would negate some of that uh, negative influence that, that we see in these countries?
3: Well, absolutely. I believe it does. And I think a lot of the time, um, there's one example that I remember, of my partner and I lived in India um, for about two years. And one of the schools, Asian aid schools, that we um, were working with at that time, it was located between... Um, different caste groups or different um, religious groups as well and I think without, and the community commented that without the school being located there, it sort of created a buffer between groups that would otherwise be fighting or would otherwise be in quite high tension with each other. So I think because the approach of the schools over there is to provide quality education there's not a heavy focus on conversion it's more about showing God's love and so I think they've done very well to continue to operate under quite a nationalistic um, government and a lot of persecution at times. Um, but I think that their approach, the, the approach that they're taking in the communities, I think is what allows them to continue to operate as they have. But even as another example, um, we had a trip in Bangladesh um, a few years ago now, um, and we were staying at one of the union um, offices. So one of the, the schools, one of the Adventist schools is located next to the church also, and there was a strike outside the gate. So there was armed police um, to protect. The Adventist families and staff inside and protesters outside, and it was very heavy and distressing, um, and it, it dissipated after a short time. But there's definitely continual tensions there, and I think the staff and families of schools um, continually work to keep those relationships positive and and truthful to, to explain what they're there for. Mm.
0: Now you mentioned that um, you had this particular school that's sort of located between two caste groups you know within within a particular religion and it helped to reduce the amount of tension in the community. Uh, does that mean then that you've got children from both castes that are attending the school?
3: Yeah, absolutely. yeah a lot of a lot of the school, the so-called the mission in the open of urban school in India and Nepal and Bangladesh is to focus on the most vulnerable or at-risk families. They really need support for lots of different reasons, out there. there's child's education, but also for their own livelihoods or their well wellbeing. Um, and so the majority of the children that attend, that, um, attend Adventist schools in these countries um, are from uh, caste groups that might be discriminated against or that might be marginalised for different reasons. Um, and so, yeah, very much it's quite a mixed um, group of children that attend for, and they have different religious backgrounds. Um, but that's the, that's the focus or the mission at the schools. Does it, um, yeah. yeah.
0: Sorry, does it create conflict in the in the in the student body?
3: Not that we've been made aware of. I'm assuming it would at times, maybe particularly at the parent level, the adult level. I think I'm not sure. We haven't really heard stories of the children not getting along necessarily. Um, but yeah, I'm sure at times that it would. Absolutely, yeah.
0: kids, kids will be kids. Ricky had a question. <laughs> yes, <that's it. laughs> no, I was just waving to Adrian. Oh, okay. <laughs> We've got Rick here in the studio, and he was just, uh, yeah, putting his hand up, and I thought I thought he had a question ready, all set to go for you, but uh, no, that's, that's that's all good. Um, and and I think what you've, what you've done there is highlighted, you know, uh, an important point is because the reality is the best way to reduce tension in a community is for the different members and the different sides of the community to actually get to know each other.
3: Oh, and absolutely. When you've, got, when
0: you've got kids who are going to school, and you know, when they start off in primary school. A lot of the time they're probably too young to really understand all of the, you know, political background of what's going and they just become friends with whoever they become friends with. And uh, that seems to me to be just a fantastic way of being able to reduce tensions.
3: Oh, absolutely right. Yeah. And I think if you don't a lot of the time if you don't tell a child that there's a reason that there's a difference to have been acknowledged, then why would they even not like no, it's the difference themselves? I think children are much more accepting um, and we, I think, adults sometimes teach children that there's a reason to discriminate against someone unnecessarily at times. But yeah, I think children are excellent at that. You're right.
0: You mentioned that your schools don't have a heavy heavy emphasis on conversion. Um, there would be people who would question that. What's Just delve into that for me a little bit more.
3: So I think so. by speaking about conversion, I think one of the differences that the school. Um, tend to focus on is that there's a way to demonstrate God's love or to demonstrate the Adventist message and there are Bible classes in the school or there's information about um, Adventism and different things like that but the role of um, I suppose like spiritual development or spiritual well-being is held by the local church and usually particularly in the remote areas where there's an Adventist village school there's an Adventist church fairly close by. So I think the way particularly in India and I'll share another story in a moment um, but they a lot of the time they need to differentiate the way. So there's the role that the church plays in the community and then the role that the Adventist school plays in the community. And they are quite different. Although they have a similar missional focus, the delivery of their services has a a different focal point for it. Um, And so we had one of our partners in India recently, the Ministry of Home Affairs, Um, they do uh, quite random checks um, or audits across programs and they attended the office Um, in the last couple of weeks and were quite, um, I'd say, uh, passionate or quite forceful with the staff there to ask if they were converting, if that was the purpose of their work, um, what were they teaching or what were they saying to the local community members. And they had to, our partner staff had to show across their reports and across their work and even through community member um, interviews to say that, no, our role here is to provide these services. We are not um, facilitating the role of the church, even though we are supported by it.
0: And when uh, you, you know you, you, if, if you, let's say that our, our schools were to become more I guess aggressive in you know, converting students that came along, would that um, affect the, the possibility of our schools actually being able to function?
3: Yeah I, I believe so. Yeah I think it's just, I think it continues to be a very fine line um, and I, I think the schools do a very good job also of engaging the local governments in their areas. Um, to make sure that they're on side with the um, the councillors or the ministers that are there, um, so that they can continue to operate and be transparent about their services or, or how they're choosing to operate in the community or what they how they're speaking to the community as what messaging is heard. But I do, I think if they got quite aggressive, particularly under in India under the current um, government, I think it would create a lot of problems, unfortunately.
0: Tammy, thank you so much for joining us here on Asian uh, to talk about Asian Aid this morning. Uh, very quickly, how do we interact with Asian Aid? This is a charity that uh, definitely needs to be supported.
3: Yeah, absolutely. So, if you um, on our website at the moment, we have our current campaign is the Supercharge Adventist Schools, and what we're looking at is because schools have been closed for such a long time through 2020 and 2021, we'd like to provide them um, with further support, or further resources, or after-school tuition services for children so we can help kids that have been heavily affected for months on end with limited education to touch up um, to their peers and to see their schooling being super touched, which would be wonderful.
0: Fantastic. Thank you so much, Tammy, for joining us here on The Breakfast Show this morning.
3: Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.